no one will be admitted after the guests check in. you gaslight me on this podcast if only they knew what i had to put up with when we're not recording not me because i'm a fucking treasure you're a tramp bitch i'm adorable santa come sliding sliding on down santa come sliding down on your dawn he says fill my christmas stocking and fill it long my name is Santa, but I'll be your chimney tonight. You ready to fucking start yet? Mm-hmm. Well, that was the intro. I got nothing else. You have something? Mm-mm. Welcome to Motel Hell. All right. <laughs> I've been the Beardo. I'm Dick the Fatty. You okay? Yeah. Are you just upset by... Uh, what you had to face as a man watching the re-remake of Black Christmas 2019. I'm upset that we're peaking on the levels. But. We're just loud boys, what can I say? It's true. So, this probably won't get to you guys on Christmas, but we have lives. You should get some too. Uh, Go to the store. (laughs) Buy it a LIFO. Speak it English. Yes? Oh. No. Ah, welcome. (laughs) Anyway, this is getting off track real quick. Uh, We are doing one of those episodes where we talk about a movie and then it's remake or remakes. In this case, unfortunately, remakes. Yeah. Doso Filmos. Well, Trace Ace. No, Trace trace Leches Filmos. Trace Leches Filmos? Yeah, three cream films. I feel like the longer we do this podcast, the dumber we fucking get. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I just think I get dumber. Which is funny, because we seem to be getting more listens than we have ever had before, so maybe that says something about our audience. We need to turn into shock shock DJs like we've talked about. Honk, honk, welcome to the morning show with Ben and Dick Fetty. We just need a we we need Sparks a soundboard. Bird. Yeah, we. But it, all the sounds will be re like pre recorded by us just making the foley. <laughs> it'll it'll be just like you're saying it, yeah. but we'll hit a button instead. Yeah, right. No, I get it. It's called technology. <laughs> so, uh, we watched Black Christmas. Yes. Then we watched Black Christmas. Then what did we watch after that? Black Christmas. That's right. Now, mind you, I haven't watched. The original since probably the last time you and I watched it together, which was like a year ago, I guess? At least a year ago, yeah. But we've seen it enough times now. I know the movie very well. But we're going to be going over all of those movies. Yeah. Uh, we, we watched the most recent 2019 remake tonight, but we will go in order of the films rather than talk about that one first and then the other two, because it really doesn't make sense, especially in this case, to... Do it any other way. Yeah, it definitely, definitely doesn't. So, Frank, Dick Fetty, the dickest of the Fetty, would you like to regale us with the synopsis 
of the original Black Christmas. Absolutely. I'd be honored. So the first thing we'll say is spoilers galore. And second thing we'll say is this is not a dive into production history, stuff like that. Kind of like our Hellraiser episode, more like our Pulse episode, which is, you know, same format. But we're not we're not here to talk about anything outside of the films, really, for the most part. It's much more about, like, just the films themselves. Yeah. So if you've seen these movies, then you'll get it. And if you haven't, then I Watch would... the original, yeah. then come back. Yeah, you can skip the other two. We've done the hard work for you, so... So the original film was directed by Bob Clark and released in 1974. It was filmed in Toronto. Uh, it was a Canadian horror film, but it basically takes place in... Well, it, it is the faux United States in the film. Yes. And it stars Olivia Hussey, Keir Dulia, Margot Kidder, and John Saxon. And that's about it as far as details go, other than to say... Bob Clark may sound like a familiar name because he directed A Christmas Story, which is the infamous originally bombed, but now like one of the most beloved Christmas movies of all time. TNT or TBS plays it like for a whole day. Yeah. (sighs) On Thanksgiving, I think. Is it? I thought it was Christmas Eve. Might be. I don't know. Yeah, I I think cable. I think it's it's I think TNT plays it from Christmas Eve to like Christmas Day, although just twenty four hour loop. It would be amazing if they played it from Thanksgiving <laughs> till Christmas Day. It would be fun, but uh, yeah, it's it's you know that's a movie I grew up watching and um, so holds up. It's just a ton of fun and such a interesting movie. And Bob Clark also did so he did a series of horror and sort of horror comedy films leading into Porky's and then I think it was Porky's and then a Christmas story if memory serves me right but basically he got out of horror got into other films and then has done like a lot of movies since then but his original run up through Porky's and a Christmas story it's pretty much all magic we watched Death Chasm which was the one about the Vietnam vet coming back yeah you remember it was sort of like a vampire zombie thing no. We did. But... I thought Deathgasm was that black metal... Oh, no, I'm comic. sorry. It's uh, Death... You're right. That's what that is. This is called Death Spasm. Oh, I can't remember. But there's a couple names for it. And then there's Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. was the movie did before that. But anyway, we're we're getting off topic. So Black Christmas is, I would say... The best holiday-themed horror movie of any holiday? Halloween? Uh, yeah, alright. Kind of hard <laughs> to beat Halloween. I guess... Thanksgiving? <laughs> it's better than Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm willing to say that on, on air. But no, so what... And to give you the synopsis, so the movie is based on urban legends and some real killings that happen in Quebec. Uh, but basically... It deals with the girls of a sorority house, and right on the eve of Christmas break, they all have plans to do this, that, or the other thing, and a deranged psycho stalker killer breaks into their house, comes in through the attic, kills the girl who's supposed to leave the next day, one of the girls, drags her up into the attic, and then basically starts killing off the girls that are left in the house over the next 24 hours after that. 
the the original girl who gets killed, her father shows up. He comes into play for the majority of the movie. You've got her boyfriend, who's played by a Canadian film regular, whose name escapes me, but he's really good. You've got the main girl, Jess, who's uh, pregnant and tells her boyfriend right before his big end-of-the-semester recital. He's like a piano concert pianist guy pianist. that, that uh, she wants an abortion and he's super upset with that and on top of all these things happening and and there's other like you know family stuff happening margot kidder's character is sort of like the brash party girl and but who has like the shitty family and they're you know stuff happening there and um they're getting these obscene phone calls very much when a stranger calls right except for this is before the movie when a stranger calls well isn't the story older than the movie Probably, yes. I mean, it's based on the urban legend of the babysitter murders. And the whole big twist of the film is that sort of at the end, well, at the end of the girl, uh, Jess finds out that the calls are coming from in the house. You kind of know that. Well, you know that the killer's in the house. You don't necessarily, up until the last shot where you actually see him start to place the call, that they're coming from in the house. Although, I think I knew that going into the movie, that that was part of like the urban legend behind it. But there's basically everything comes together to make it a perfect movie, but there are certain things that give it an X factor. So the script is really good. It's really tight. The pacing's really nice. Uh, the cinematography is fucking awesome. Like you get really good POV shots. And this is all before the, the slasher craze. This is like one of the most famous proto slasher films. I'm blanking on the other ones right now, but. So you get a lot of this POV stuff. You get this incredibly discordant, avant-garde piano soundtrack for parts of it mixed with Christmas carols. So it sort of goes between the joyful and fun and, you know, warm holiday cheer. To absolutely deranged and... Yeah, it's a lot like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is another proto-slasher soundtrack where it's way more of like the sound of like knives on piano wires and shit like that, or just like keys getting pounded and... Lots of just, like, it is extremely uncomfortable and very good, very much to my taste. The acting's great. The The only thing that the movie lacks in a, any kind of, like, noteworthy way, sort of, is as a gore hound, you know, I'm always looking for gore. And even though there's very little gore, even the blood is like, eh. But it's the kind of movie where that's, like, the least important part, like, because the rest of it's amazing, so the gore is sort of frankly, would probably take away from it because it's not about that. It's not about the the aftermath of the killings as much as it is about the the killing and the stalking itself. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of our favorite movies, one of our recently became one of our favorite movies was the third Exorcist movie. Yeah. And that movie has no gore. Well, it's got, I think it's got like a little couple dead body shots, but basically... Not really. I mean, they don't even show the body that was killed in the hospital and had all his blood drained. Yeah. It's under a sheet the whole time. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it, there are many movies that do it. And like that, like The Exorcist Halloween. 3. Right. It, uh, it works because it's not the cheap thrills kind of a movie. This is, this is on the same level as The Shining. Or extremely close to it. I mean, The Shining's sort of at a higher level because it's more ambitious. But the thing I'll say about The Shining is that there are a couple scenes towards the end when it's full-on, like, insanity mode that are a little silly. and Like the skeletons? Like the skeletons. <laughs> and that can, you know, in the... When I watch the movie and I don't 
like get you know looking for things to pick apart it's fine but this movie doesn't have that like it obviously doesn't have the budget of a Stanley Kubrick film right. either but the 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 big thing to mention above everything else I've already said is the phone calls themselves and they're I think one of the most famous parts of the movie I would say are infamous parts because if memory serves me right, one of the only production details I really know is that I think they got the guy who did them to stand on his head while he did it and, like, you know, sort of talked all goofy because, like, the blood's draining, you know, the wrong way and whatever. Pooling, I should say. Um, and they are pretty bone-chillingly fucking disturbed. I mean, really... And he does these multitude of voices and... After you watched a couple times, you're sort of picking up this whole like, it's the parents and yeah, and yeah. about like he's Billy and Billy did something to the baby Agnes and whatever, but it's but then he also says stuff directed at the girls and it's they're just like seriously fucked up and what sells it on top of the performance itself of the voices which are like fucking unhinged on a level that's just like oh man they really nailed it is that the reactions from the characters are, like, they're deeply disturbed by it primarily, and the acting's done by good actors, and the writing does the job of, you care deeply about these characters. Well, they're also believable right. as people. Right, yeah. Like, the whole, everything in the movie feels like, this is possible, this, is, this could be real, and for me, I've watched this movie now between 10 and 15 times in the last less than 10 years. Some years I watch it multiple times during the Christmas season. And it's interesting because I have different reactions to different characters. Each time I watch it, I think I'm kind of, I think I've kind of like developed my full opinion of each of them and whatever, but you really care. And yeah, it, it also deals with stuff above and beyond, um, the basic plot. Like, there are themes, in my opinion, in the movie that are not ham-fisted at all, but, like, are inherent in the subject matter because there's a subplot where another high school girl goes missing and then is later found dead in a park. Yep. And they're doing, like, a dual manhunt for the missing sorority sister and the um, and the little girl. And the, there's the scene where the they don't show the little girl at all, but they show the mom... After they find the body, she runs out, and they're, like, trying to stop her from seeing it, but she goes, and then she, like, freaks out, and I think she faints, or maybe they drag her away, like, screaming and crying, and and these college sorority sister girls, like, also see this, and it's, and the as does the dad of the missing sorority sister, and it's just, like, like, you know, young people learning to deal with loss, and it's just, it it's this perfect, like, infliction of the awful possibilities of the real world on people that are just like budding into adulthood, you know, as yeah. college students. And so it's, and, and it's believable and it's effective and there's a whole overarching, like the sort of evil of men to women misogyny type of thing, but not in a way that's like wag your finger, third wave feminism type of a thing, but more of like, this is, I mean, there are a couple elements of the film that are like, okay, this probably couldn't happen, especially the guy dragging the bodies into the attic, or at least the one body seems mighty difficult. But I mean, dragging any body up a straight <coughs> ladder seems like a hard task. Yeah. 
But outside of that, like, it is true that women, including college girls, are violently assaulted, are killed, or this, that, or the other. It's true that, like, you know, you see the portrayal of the cops. John Saxon's the good cop, but a lot of the rest of the cops are really shitty, and there's especially one guy who's exceptionally shitty about the whole thing, and, um, you know treats him with disrespect and you even have the father of the missing sorority girl who's constantly sort of wagging his finger at how these girls are like not living to his yeah moral standard and uh bitching about you know like i didn't send my daughter here to kiss boys and <laughs> you know drink or whatever and you've got the alcoholic house mother but again like it i mean just... he didn't send his daughter there to kiss boys yeah but okay so <laughs> He's got a point. So that's my that's my synopsis and part of my analysis. But I'm I'm hogging the spotlight, as it were. Not yeah, you won't shut the fuck up. Anyone cares? Yeah, I don't. It's it's so funny because there's so many movies at this point, but I don't think any of them have had a strong reaction as this one probably. That like you and I had never watched at all throughout our lives, and then we became friends and started like you know delving more and more into different movies and we saw this one and this is one of the ones that like i think like really really scratched an itch that we didn't know we had yeah and you know i think we also probably watched it not long after like a giallo stint probably yeah and i think i think at most at earliest we watched it seven years ago and it was probably only six and that being said i've seen it 10 to 15 times yeah yeah i love that movie um, even though there's not any blood, the way they do the kill scenes and the way everything's framed is done so well. Uh, like we said, spoilers, the scene where the girl gets killed with the crystal unicorn, crystal unicorn is so visceral, yeah. even though like you don't see a bunch of blood everywhere. It's just, it's so visceral. And the well, Foley they put on that is so because good. Because what they, and in that scene, like it, it's awesome because you get first the false start where he goes to kill her and then she wakes up and then, uh, Jess comes running up into her room and she's like, I dreamt there was a guy standing over me. I dreamt there was a man in my room. I should be so lucky. She does, you know, uses her inhaler, goes back to bed. And half of the shots are shot as if they're behind her headboard, which is shelving rather than just a flat headboard. Yep. And so you're seeing her sleeping from behind her and then these crystal, or I guess they're really glass, uh, sculptures she has of like swans filled with white sand and then this big unicorn head. And, uh, and then he slowly is like walking into frame from the complete blackness of the backside of the room and then picks this up, and it's like, you know, it's, again, right, like, it's a movie shot with actual, like, legitimate, not just, like, skill, but panache, you know what I mean? It's You remember when we watched good movies? Yeah. <laughs> I know. It, well, it's one of those where it's like, you know, our year is sprinkled, we've got, like, one or two good movies for every month we pretty much watch every year, and then the rest of it is Dracula 3000, <laughs> Wishmaster 2... Etc. Etc. You mean the good stuff? Yeah, the good good. But yeah, and I mean like you know, it's a lot of the movie does delve with like that stealing of innocence. Not to get too metaphorical or sim- uh, throws too much symbolism at at the movie as a whole. But you know, unicorns purity. Also, little girls like unicorns, and being stabbed with a symbol of purity and childhood is 
very metaphorical, I guess. Yeah. But the the whole movie is done so masterfully, in such a way that you don't see anymore. Oh God, I'm getting old. Um, I mean, the last two slasher movies I saw that like you know well, I guess last three were the final and most recent remake of Black Christmas, Malignant, and Halloween Kills. Halloween Kills. Yeah, which. Two of the three I liked for my own reasons. The third one, not so much. Yeah. Well, it's four because you saw two Black Christmas remakes. Halloween Kills and Malignant. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Although I wouldn't say this new one really falls in. I guess it does, but it's it's something else. And we're going to get to that. But, yeah, I mean, I just... They recently, Criterion put out... They had an article. It was like women writing reviews about horror movies that they loved like why they love these movies and there was a trans woman who wrote one for black christmas and so it was it's the kind of thing where like sometimes you'll read a review and it more poignantly puts together the thoughts that are sort of floating in your head and you're like yeah that's it and there's a lot of one of the things she said that i really liked was sort of what makes the movie effective is that it like, in that scene where the girl's getting brutally murdered, Jess is downstairs watching children sing a Christmas carol at the yeah. front door. And it's, she says at the end of the review, basically, like, that's what it is to be a woman, is to have, on the one hand, these moments of, like, beauty and this, that, and the other. And then, on the other hand, this threat of violence and this cruelty of, like, you know, what's done to women on the on the other and you may or may not agree with that perspective, but I think that's pretty fair. And I think that what makes the movie effective as a horror movie and disturbing and like makes it actually scary and like upsetting to watch and elicit a reaction other than like giggles, turtles and, you know, awful jokes is that these are real characters. And again, like real like, this is the, a real kind of thing that can, like, really happen to a woman. Like, you know what I mean? Whether it's the the harassing, sexual, bizarre, fucked-up phone calls with threats of violence in it, or being ignored by the police because you're just hysterical, or, like, you know, oh, your sorority sister's probably just shacked up with a guy somewhere, so, like, don't... You know what I mean? Like, all that kind of brush-off stuff to the being physically assaulted and having your body invaded. And then the whole other thing, which we're not even really touching on, which is the extreme anger with which uh and an assumption of control and power that jess's boyfriend has over her her body and her choice yeah. to have this child and um you know all those things are like it's just like awful and ooky and really really good and, and it's so cold it's snowy it's there it was you know like i said filmed in toronto it kind of has like a boston look but um it's just a delightful masterpiece. And the I'll skip a little bit of the very end spoilers, but there's a lot of obsession with telephone or technology, communication technology in the film. And there's these great scenes of them trying to chase trace the line from where the call's coming. And I don't know how accurately that really reflects how it was done back then, but it's fascinating and fun. As, as somebody who used to do freaking, like I... Uh, really just appreciate any movie that has an obsession with phones. Um, the fuck is freaking? So it's like hacking, but with phones. So mm. we used to break into phone cabinets and we would tap people's lines and listen to them and stuff like that back in the day. That was before I did drugs. That was how we got our kicks. 
I, you learn something new about your friend every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it sticks with you and, and the, 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 it's, yeah, it's just all the, all the fucking elements. It, the score reminds me a lot of, um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Shining in the way that it, it does what a good score should do, which is it only enhances, it never overpowers, it never distracts, it it only adds to the extremely unsettling nature. And, oh, and the other thing it does that reminds me of The Shining, and I'll end with this, is that there's a scene towards the very end where the killer is trying to break down the door to get to Jess, and it is so, like, the sound on it, the, you know, Foley artist, whatever, like it feels like so legit, like in his maniac, like screaming that he does like, "Ah, ah," and he's just like kicking this door and she's screaming. And it's very similar. Although it doesn't have the incredible swinging camera work of when Jack Torrance is cutting that fucking door down with an ax. Like that is, that is like the top tier horror. Like it just like, it's all of the fury and the like terrifying nightmare power of just like, your dad is chopping down the door to fucking murder you. It's just short of that, but like, oh my god, is it like it is really upsetting when he's running after her and just screaming and trying to get through that door. It's like, holy shit. So yeah, it's you know we talk about a lot of horror movies, and I don't think we talk a lot about the ones that we consider masterpieces. I mean, if you're if you've listened to the podcast, you obviously know that we think that The Shining is a masterpiece. But Black Christmas is definitely one of those horror movies that's a fucking masterpiece. And I don't think as far as slashers go, anything's ever truly captured, I guess, almost what like a real-life serial killing could be like. Just that all that anger and the fury and the debauchery of the whole thing, um, you know, it... it, it parallels a lot of things that have actually happened you know fucking bundy uh actually that bunny might have happened after this movie came out yeah i mean this movie's 47 years old i don't 74 he was I can't yeah. recall when he did the uh it was later yeah when he, Bu- it, bundy got i mean he was he like, was he was arrested and then he escaped yeah but in, in house. like the 80s no yeah i'm pretty sure no maybe i think he was in on trial in the 70s no now we have to look it up but you know that's bundy did something you know a lot less uh cinematic (laughs) let's say well we we don't know how it looked yeah it's true but he broke into a sorority house and attacked a few 74 to 78 so his is all almost all post black christmas wow yeah wow yeah, it's and it's like a Richard Speck who also that movie yeah. Ten to Midnight's based on of like going in and uh, you know killing all those nurses in one house. Yeah, and I mean yeah, like it takes place over twenty four hours. It's this real berserker frenzy, and it's it's just like and and the other thing that I will say, uh, I really try to shut up, but like there are elements of humor in the movie. It's it's well-written and also has, like, well-written bits of humor. Like, there's situational humor and then there's some cleverness. And it's, like, because anybody who's experienced even the worst shit, like, there are moments where things are funny yeah, even and when it's terrifying. Life can be funny. And it's not written like a Marvel movie where everyone's got a fucking quip. It's just, like, some people are funny, some things that happen are funny. Like, it's... Right. 
it's it's a masterpiece. Yeah. And we did we had done an episode two years ago, maybe three, where we covered our it might have been three Jesus Christ at this point. Uh our top five favorite horror movie films each. And this was one movie that wasn't on the list. And I was before we decided to do this episode, I was looking at that list and thinking, Man, where's Black Christmas? Black Christmas should be on here. And so now it's getting its own episode. Yeah, so. and I mean it's it's you know, it's one of those things where you know, somebody asks you what your favorite song is and you forget every song you've ever listened to and doing that list like I picked oh, some American stuff Pie. And, I love that song yeah. so long. But you know, it's just it I want to say that like my favorite movies are ones that I can watch over and over again and I don't know if I could watch Black Christmas for 24 hours straight but it's definitely it's probably my favorite actual slasher movie. Yeah. So, I want to talk about the ending. I really do. Okay. Cuz it it was something that was very important to me. I maybe that's not the right terminology, but so heavy spoilers for the ending. Um if you haven't stopped and gone and watched the movie yet, stop listening to this podcast, go watch the movie right fucking now. Yeah. Albeit this is probably after Verder a lot, but after Christmas is over, but it's fine, it's fine. Go watch the movie, it's good. Um the end of the movie, you never find out who the killer is. You never even see the killer. You, which is it but like that feels important to me because, yeah. you know, there, there's a movie called The Tower, I think it's... Or a documentary called The, the Tower, mm. um, which is about the uh, sniping killings at Texas oh. Tech? Or Texas State, yeah. Texas I know. State? Yeah, it's one of those. They almost entirely leave out the man who actually did the shootings. And it's all done from interviews of the people who were there. I remember when that came out, it was like... People, incredible yeah. movie. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. But... It's one of those things where you take that power away from the killer and it both, not never seeing the killer and never finding out who it is, both takes their power away and makes them more scary in this situation. Because, you know, you you can be like, oh man, I could fucking beat up Freddy Krueger. Or like, this is how I deal with Freddy Krueger. But how how do you deal with a killer that you've never seen, never gets caught? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, well, because the big thing... Well, yeah, and there are it's it's great because he he doesn't get caught, he doesn't get seen, and you don't know who he is. And boy, do they fuck that up in the next two movies we're about to talk about. Yeah, but it's it's and again, it's like speaks to that ability to like make a film that's a film that's like quote unquote art with a capital A, as opposed to like making a movie to make money, because. You know, I don't think when they made this, they were trying to do what Kubrick was trying to no, do with The but... Shining, but on just a... And it feels like a movie from the 70s because, it, granted, anytime there's a lull, like, somebody gets murdered pretty frequently, like, frequently enough, but but it, it trusts the audience. There's no flashback in the movie. Nope. There's no voiceovers. They don't explain anything. There's no exposition at there all. There is none. It's just the fucking movie. And it's like, oh my God. Because it's one of the things I love about... There are two movies I saw in the last couple of years that blew me away, and they both are similar because they both also deal with... They're both the 70s, and they deal with like telephonic equipment and surveillance. The Conversation and Clute. You've seen Clute. You haven't seen The Conversation, right? With Jim Hackman. And 
they both similarly like they're movies that are smart and well written and slow burning and they just trust their audience and it's like thank you thank you so much it's kind of like one of the movies we've talked a lot about on the show the witch where they just don't tell you you or know even his next movie Edgar's next movie the lighthouse they don't tell you fucking shit all no and it was funny because Jeff and I had talked about after we saw it, the only thing, the only misstep in the movie is maybe the little Promethean sting they have at the end, which was uh, a debated creative decision when they were doing it as to, because like, I thought it should have ended with the screaming into the light and then it ends instead with that and it's fine, but it's like, you know, but it's the only, there's two complaints in the Blade Runner 2049 and the one is like whatever but the other big one is that they he has flashbacks and it's like dude i've been watching this movie intently i fucking love it like you don't need to show me you know i also understand i'm sure that they were like well if you're gonna make a two and a half almost three hour long sci-fi epic like you gotta throw in something for the dummies but like don't give me a fucking flashback unless you're making memento which isn't you know phil new only made that movie because he wanted to make dune we all know it yeah that's maybe true but but yeah and i mean last thing on original black christmas maybe and then i guess we'll move on sure. to the remakes but possibly my favorite last scene into credits in cinematography ever because it's just a slow pan out of the house and then the credits start to roll and then maybe maybe this happens before the credits start to roll but just Phone starts ringing. Phone starts ringing before the credits, but... Yeah. No music, nothing else, just a shot of the house and a phone ringing. Yeah. And that's it. It ends... It, it starts first with people leave the room where victim is, lights go out, all the men leave, starts to pull away, dark room, phone starts ringing, which says some things about what just happened, pull out, outside shot, cop posted outside, hears it, doesn't do anything, phone's still ringing... And then you can still see Dead Girl from the beginning in the attic window, rocking back and forth in the chair. Gorgeous. Yeah. And just... Mm. And as a side note, I think we talked about it. I'm sure that we did around the time I did it. But a couple months before the world went to shit, in honor... When was that? Huh? When was that? 2018. Mm. I don't remember that. Yeah, maybe not. But in 2019, I did a live performance that was on the... Oh, yeah, wow. So, so uh, Keith Brewer from Taint, Mania, and blah, 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 like noise, legend, passed away on November 25th from stomach and liver cancer. This was liver cancer. I don't even remember now. It's like too awful. But... Anyways, I did. I was asked to do a live performance, and I I made a thirty minute sound collage of this the dialogue, music, and other stuff from this movie. And then, because he loved it, we we both loved it. We would talk about it every year. And then I treated those sounds live as the performance, and <laughs> I was going for extreme unpleasant bad vibes, like total desolation. Uh, as much as I could without being, you know, like, whatever. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I was really happy because everybody was like, that was fucking awful and extremely unpleasant. I was like, oh, good. I've accomplished my <laughs> Thank goal. Thank you. My, 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 I was really, to my own surprise, really, like, 
affected, for lack of a better word, I mean, I think that's the word, by Keith's passing. It was just so... It wasn't unexpected in the sense that he said he had liver cancer and wasn't starting treatment immediately. That seemed bad, but, um, you know, it it just was... It really was a, very upsetting, and um, so I was trying to, like, kind of channel that into a creative outlet, and then I later released all that stuff. I guess it was last year, a year later. Uh, and... I don't know. It it's was a fun and disturbing thing to work on because I had to just listen to the music and the sound and the dialogue from the movie over and over and over and like make it as unsettling as possible. And as part of that I like cut pieces of dialogue up and rearrange things in the order and all this. And as good as I think the noise I did on top of it for the eventual studio version I did or quote unquote studio, but uh the untreated collage is just super disturbing by itself and after i just watched this movie two weeks ago i was like let me go put that on and i was like i feel terrible yeah it's possibly one of my favorite things you've ever done musically yeah it's, i was pretty pleased with it so i don't know why you came up with the idea for this episode you know because these episodes are fun to do they, they are they are and i mean as painful as pulse was it was fun to to talk about it but like oh sweet jesus so Alright. Okay. So, the next one is Black Christmas. Black Christmas. <laughs> which is abbreviated as Black and then X-Mass. Mass. Yeah. Uh, keep the crest in Christmas. And it has... Uh, the So, the original tagline for the, the... The tagline for the original movie is... If this does... If this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. The tagline for this movie is, This holiday season, the sleigh, spelled S-A-L-Y, ride begins. So fuck you, first of all. Don't even get excited. Second of all, it's from 2006, which is... You know, you think the 90s was like the low point for horror films. Wrong. But then you watch that 2000 to like 2008, and it is rough. There's some really good 90s. Yeah. Especially in retrospect. They're at least often fun. The, yeah. the, the 2000s is just like devoid of charisma, fun, quality writing. Uh, directed by Glenn Morgan, starring Katie Cassidy, Michelle Trachtenberg, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Oliver Hudson, Lacey Chabert, Kristen Cloak, and Andrea Martin. A.K.A. Bunch of Cuties. Yeah, I will say that no one beats Margot Kidder for me, but... Uh, Winstead is a cutie pie, even though she's barely in the movie, and all the other girls are pretty attractive. I'm a pretty big fan of Michelle Trachtenberg, but that could be because I had a crush on her when Harriet the Spy came out. Sure. So, you know, that's never I've never really let that go. Yeah, well, I feel the same way about Melissa Joan Hart, so... Oh, man. We watched this last week. Yeah, so the best way I can... Before we get, like, really into it, the best way I can describe this movie, and I was thinking about this last night is this is Rob Zombie's Black Christmas. It, I would say... Hold on, well, let me, let me explain why. Not, not because I just... Not just because I hate Rob Zombie as a director. Yeah. Uh, but they took something that was great, and they're like, hey, let's add storyline in there that... Nobody really asked for, which sure. is exactly what he did with Halloween. Halloween, because I don't, I don't fucking care about the worst Mike Myers being in the 
in- institutionalized for fucking 25 years. I don't care. It's not interesting. No. Nobody cares. And that's kind of what they did with this movie. They were like, Billy. Billy, let's... We need to know more let's about... Let's flesh that motherfucker out. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> It's pretty good. It's a pretty good analogy. I would say the only thing that this movie is lacking is the extreme trashiness of a Rob Zombie film. Ah, uh, this movie's pretty trashy, but it but doesn't no have nudity. It doesn't have, well, there's very little, and there's it doesn't have the rock and roll edge to its trashiness. Like Rob Zombie movies, at the very least, feel like Rob Zombie movies. That's not a stamp of approval, but at least it's a stamp <laughs> that he's got made himself. Like you don't. Uh, any Rob Zombie movie is there's it's a it's a color palette and it's a this that and the other and you're like this is a Rob Zombie film at least everyone I've ever seen which is way more than I should have ever seen which I think basically all of them except for Lords of Salem and thirteen something or other uh yeah that movie's terrible uh, I remember you saying that really bad um uh Lords of Salem isn't that bad as yeah. far as his movies go but like. There, there's like some shots on that movie where you're like, oh man, this is this is pretty great, and then he zombies it up. Yeah, but the the thing about this movie, I guess I would say, is like so obviously we have low expectations going into this, and you know, it 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 sort of marks exactly the difference between like a film and a movie. Whereas when I watch a horror movie, you know, to make a sort of uh, semantic distinction, but in my head, you know, for, for what it's worth, I want tits and I want gore. Those yeah. are the two things. I want boobies and I want to see jabronis die. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and if you give me a really good version of one, I can overlook the lesser part of another and, you know, and it's fine. Like if the people are so awful in their acting, their writing, whatever that you want them to die. I'm okay with that. Like, I'm in it for the gore. So the more that die, frankly, the better. Uh, and there are movies that can ride that line. It's like a lot of Giallo. Like, the best Giallo, you're like, this is a good movie. They're almost always you have to make some kind of qualification when it comes to Giallo of, like, despite the wild leaps of logic <laughs> or despite the complete This tarantula is covered in cocaine. Yeah. Or... Or some other aspect of the film that's just, like, so bizarre or whatever, but it's part of what makes it fun, like, and feels like an alien world uh, in some ways, or, like, a, a bizarro version of our reality. But then there are movies like this, where it it's, it's awful, but it's not awful enough to transcend into good-bad... And it's not trashy enough to just be titillating and fun in that way. And it doesn't offer anything. And then worst of all, it carries with it the weight of a movie that was already perfect and didn't need a remake. And I can, for the most part, leave that aside. But it is always the underlying voice in my head saying like, why even bother? Like, if you made a bad movie the first time, you can make a remake that's better, you know, or at least equivocal. Yeah. But they're picking a perfect film and saying, we're going to make this what? I, like, I get that the entire endeavor is wildly cynical. They say, we want to make a movie. You know, people know this name, but kids have never seen it. It's 2006. That movie's 30 years old. We're going to make this shitty remake and people are going to go see it because like, oh, I heard of that one, but I think it's too bold to watch. 
And uh, I don't know why the old people are saying it, but you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, and that's how we get here. But holy fucking hell. Yeah, man. Where, where to even really begin? I, I would say the color scheme. It is the one of the most hideously fucking ugly movies I've ever seen. It's all I can think of is dog vomit on top of a pile of Christmas lights. Like that's yeah. more colors. It's this just fucking putrid orange and. Okay. Well. Okay. Let Let's Let's start. Let's start with like the first thing that really. Billy. What? Billy. Yeah. Let's Let's start with with Billy, also known as the Yellow Bastard. For whatever, okay, and the one thing I do know about this movie, because uh, I wanted to look up the director real quick while we were watching it, was that the director, whose name escapes me right now, but I also Something don't care that much. or whatever. Yeah. Um, we already said it. Rewind if you care. <laughs> he had really only done television. Sure. And you can tell... Because it plays out like a way too long TV episode. It feels like like three TV episodes strung together. But for whatever reason, he made the decision, yeah, let's give Billy a full backstory and show them. But also, Billy is as yellow as a fucking banana. But the thing is that I would say is I highly doubt the director had any choices in this movie. I'm sure that they had a spec script. They said, make this and then you've only done TV, you won't make a movie. Go do it, boy. And, like, I don't think people were getting to make lots of creative decisions. This seems like a completely cynical, you have this amount of money, you have this script, make this fucking movie and make money with it. I mean, he's made the movie and he didn't put a different name on it, so... Yeah, but that doesn't mean anything. (sighs) What are you talking about? It's like, I mean, directors direct, but they direct what they got. And it's not everybody's a David Lynch or a fucking whatever... Denis Villeneuve it's it's they don't have to be anyway I understand but I'm just saying I I, it's not like about I just don't I don't think there's maybe it's all at the director's feet but I would imagine it's just a general everyone was like I just think it was a completely cynical affair and those Nazi soldiers were just and I do want to say (laughs) yeah budget of nine million boxes office of 21 it's some vindication in the sense of like at least it didn't make a hundred million dollars on 10 or something like that but like Okay. This movie is so bad it's making us argue. Anyway. So yes, Billy. Yellow is a banana. Which immediately... That's, and he does he's not like particularly ugly or deformed. So the yellowness just makes him look like Bart Simpson. Which inherently makes him less scary. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 he just looks silly the whole time. And the movie beats are... Pretty much the same outside of them adding uh, Billy's backstory, and then they also add his sister, Agnes. Agnes. Now, I would like to mention, because they deserve credit, whoever did the special effects in this movie and did all the gore gags was... Mm, they were pretty decent. Pre- pre- they were pretty fucking good. I wouldn't even say pretty decent. I thought they were pretty good. There was a couple sloppy ones, but there's a big obsession with tearing out eyeballs, and mostly they do a pretty great job of it. Yeah. Great eyeball tearing. And there is, I would say, the best and most surprising, ridiculous but kind of fun, was when he cuts cookie cutters out pieces of flesh from his dead mother and then cooks them in the oven and eats them. What was the what was the big kill that got us? We were really like, okay, yeah, okay. I don't remember. Because he did... It was the girl in the attic. 
And then there was another one. It was the second girl he got. Wasn't there something like this? I can't remember. I don't know. Uh, there was there were some good kills in it, but this movie did everything the opposite from Black Christmas. It looks terrible the whole time. Uh, the writing is piss poor, to say the least. It, it is. It is like it's the classic attempt to be like these are modern sorority girls, and they already nailed it in the first movie. They they delivered real characters. This was like what you thought you wanted to see in two thousand six of like bad girls who like fucking drink and curse, and it's just it's awful immediately, and then. And, like, the stuff they do and say, it, it it's it's all of the tropes. Like, it, again, like, it's just like, well, we know you want to see these girls get killed for doing dumb things and acting in dumb ways and whatever, which is true. But it's, like, so... It's just one of those where it's, like, so fucking stupid that you're just... It's, it really sucks the enjoyment out of it. You know what I mean? Like, I can, I can deal with a little bit of, like, dumb for the sake of getting murdered, but... Like I said... I like watching jabronis get murdered on film. Yeah. It, not every character needs to be perfectly well written, but if they're written so bad to the point where I just don't even want to listen to any of the dialogue. It's fucking painful. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. Yeah, and the, the boyfriend, townie boyfriend character who's in the movie is... Like, there's this whole, like, very sort of small and, at the end of the day, unimportant subplot of... He was or was still banging one sorority sister, but yes. has, is banging yes. a younger one who dies. She's like one of the first to die. And it got uploaded to the internet. Right. And so the before the, sis, the sisters he used to be banging gets killed, she's watching the porno. Like she's seeing it online and is upset. And then uh she dies, but when she dies, she leaves her laptop up with that being, like, the thing on the top screen. Which is just highly unbelievable, because for anybody who's watched porn and isn't... Well, it's, I guess maybe especially if you're married, but most of us know to close our porn pretty rapidly. Now, granted, we've all been there where we forgot to, and then somebody's like, I'm gonna go check my Google. And you're like, oh, no, don't look at that Casey Cox video. But... um it's up. And then later the girl, go, one of the other sisters goes into the room to try to look for her. And the guy, the boyfriend who was fucking her, who's in the video, had come in through her window to yeah, surprise her. Yeah, fucking broken. Seen it on the laptop, but didn't get to turn it off before the sorority sister comes in. And then His a, current girlfriend. Yeah. And then eventually she sees it. And he says, instead of being, like, there's a million ways to go with this, but then is like... That's not me. Or then he's like, well, it was before I knew you. And then he's like, and I didn't upload it on the internet. And this, that, and the other. And she hadn't even like... Wait, hold on. Wait, 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 hold on. We need to back up. We need to talk about him and his fucking exposition dump. Oh, yeah. Which was one of the most painful things. Yeah. So, yeah, he finds this. His girlfriend goes to go into her sorority sister's room. And he, like, barges out. And they're like, what are you doing here? Why are you not doing in her room? Why are you in her room? And he gives some excuse. And then... You rich bitches are all the same. Yeah. And then goes off on this tangent about Billy. And, oh, you, you college people don't know what it's like for a townie. And, 
all of these women are just listening to this man intently. Yeah. And asking questions. After he's insulted all of them and is like a total piece of shit. And broke into their house. Yeah. And the, the, so, and I guess like the rest of it's all really dumb. The, I want to say two things. One is there's a part where one of the drunk sorority sisters goes to shower. And like there was a hundred different times where she could have just killed herself from being drunk and slipping, which would have been like a fun sort of like, you know, oh, the killer doesn't even get her. But she's got, they've got this like tile floor and the tiles keep popping up. And then you see his eye looking at her and it's this composite. It's not even like a composite shot. It's like a digital thing. Might have to get into a, a small professional issue I had with, with those shots. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, listeners may or may not know, I work in the flooring business. I have for a while now. And they have these little hexes on the floor, which isn't uncommon for bathrooms. They're like two by two inch hexes. So when you're putting down a tile floor, you don't put it directly on your subfloor unless you have concrete. Because plywood tends to move. It swells, it decreases you step on it it, you know bows and everything so you don't put tile directly on it because grout will pop out tile will break but this motherfucker pops one of those little fucking tiles out and mind you yes it could have just been installed correctly but i'm watching this and i just see the the subfloor just like the the plywood and i'm fucking dying inside and on top of it yes they it's like that terrible cgi and pun yeah uh, nice and they they're i guess they're trying to have like a like an arty angle to it almost like a it makes no sense in the sense of how could he possibly be below her and see anything well right and yeah because he's at an angle that's so extreme that i'm not gonna say that on but yes it's it is uh it's just it, on every level, it's wrong, it's dumb, and it's bad. And they and they shoot the eye flat, flat. But then they have like this weird angle where like he pops another one, and it's such such a weird angle that they're like, oh yeah, there is a naked girl in this room, and you can kind of see a little bit of nipple, and like you can kind of see her butt. But guess what? We wanted to do this cool art house shot. Cause it's we're, not it, but it's yeah. I think it's less of that. That was their way of. She was like, you get this much nudity, so shoot it however you need to. But like, I'm only doing I, half silhouette. I doubt that. Ah uh, well. Either way, that was you get old lady tit, which looked pretty good, all things considered. But also, and then hers, uh, which was like nice, but it's very brief, and it's, you know, it, it just does not make up for all the rest of it. I mean, at the end of the day, for me, I fucking hated this movie. The last thirty minutes, I just wanted it to be over. No single kill or all the kills combined made any of it worth it. And the movie ends with one of the worst things, which is, unless you're Halloween 2 and you just set it all in a hospital, I fucking hate hospital chase kill whatever sequences. I hate end of movie hospital sequences. Especially, yeah. So, wait, hold on. There's a couple more things I want to bring up before we get to that scene, though, if that's okay. okay. Uh, One of which is Billy's backstory, Mm -hmm. uh, just because... Uh, Yeah, I'm into So... It, it seems like they wanted to go for all this edge, but the director, maybe it wasn't the director, I don't know, but it didn't feel like they went all the way with that, like, grindhouse feels. It feels like they wanted to. Like, he was like, oh, yeah, we're going to give him this real fuck up, fucked up back 
you know, edgy backstory. It's going to be so good. But, like, that kind of movie is supposed to be exploitative. It's supposed to have boobs and, like, way more gore and everything. But, anyway, Billy was born yellow, so his dad was cool and his mom was an evil bitch. Alcoholic evil bitch. Yeah, yeah. and she murdered uh, his father and half-buried him in the basement with her... Under the porch. Under the porch. Under the porch with her soon-to-be new husband. And she trapped Billy in the attic. And new husband wasn't giving her a baby. Well, so yeah, yeah. she went upstairs and got naked in front of Billy. And I guess Billy banged her? No, I mean, she raped Billy. He's a child, so... No, he was like 18 at that point. I don't think that he was. I don't think that he was. Either way... It seemed edgy and gross for the, you know, for this purpose of being edgy and gross. But, like, if you have a scene like that and it's supposed to have, like, any kind of, like, you can't have a scene like that and have it be funny. Yeah. Like, you just you just can't. Well, especially, yeah, and it's it's undermined but, because he's yellow. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. It's like, it's like, call me. Anyway, um, I can't do a March voice. It's fine. But, yeah, so. Homer. <laughs> Homer. Yeah. No, no, that's <clears throat> not it. It's way more gravelly. That's just not. <laughs> and uh, so, Billy gives her his sister. He impregnates her with his sister. Yes, that makes sense. Sorry, I'm not from the Deep South. But he impregnates her with his sister. She has the baby. And then, and like you kind of, like you're kind of like, oh, maybe his mom's like coming around a little bit. And then he gets a telescope, and I guess that kind of sets him off. So he gets a telescope before he fucks his sister. I think. Maybe his mom fucks his mom. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. So anyway, he takes out one of the sister's eyes, kills the stepfather, kills the mom, flays her flesh into cookies, which really wouldn't make them cookies. They'd just be kind of like bacon. But yeah. I would eat it. I digress. Cops come and arrest him. And it was all done in the sorority sister's house. Yeah, so that's the other thing is that it's... it's The movie is... The reason that Billy shoehorned into it at all, like the whole reason of like, oh, why is he there and doing this, is that this was the famous murder house and he did all these things. And then later they turned it into a sorority house, you know... Which literally would have never happened. Right, would have never happened. And also it's... It's not been long enough for that to happen, even if it were, because it's been like 20 years, maybe 30, depending on Billy's age when he killed versus when he gets out. But he ain't that old. His sister gets sent off to the adoptions, you know, blah, 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 and then eventually disappears. But that's the other thing is like the movie starts with him in the insane asylum and he And then his sister daughter is killing. Yeah, so we immediately called that there were two killers. Yeah. And, uh... You know, we were, they, they give you like a little bit of a false thing where you're like, oh, maybe this one sorority sister's the killer, but it seemed too dumb and it was, at least for them, given that. And she but, was the most interesting character and she didn't get enough screen time. Yeah. And uh, it just was, it, well, let's talk about the hospital and then I guess we'll move on. There's one other thing I want to bring up which sure. still baffles me. Uh-huh. There's a scene because obviously this movie takes place after cell phones came out. So there's a lot of cell phone play. And... The one main girl calls one of her sister's phones, who I presume is already dead at this point. I can't even remember. Oh, and you see it. And you see it blinking 
through the ceiling. How? Yeah, it really makes no sense. Like, it's like her realization that she's up in the attic. But, like, it... What? Like, there's no... It's not a drop ceiling. Like, there's there's no... It would be like seeing a light through a drywall. That's not... It, the whole it point happen. of the wall. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's... There's some uh, pretty brutal beatings and, and yeah, but I mean, it's just on every level, like everything is done out of convenience, laziness, like they're racing to get the movie over with and still it's too long. It's too painful. It's too fucking stupid. And then they end it with a chase in the hospital at the very end. And oh boy, it's just... Real dumb. And as someone who's spent a lot of time in hospitals, as in the beard or not me. Yeah, so, okay. And I mean, like, I I understand hospitals can be creepy. Sure. But my biggest issue has always been, even before all my surgeries and stuff, because even younger I spent some time in hospitals for other health issues. (laughs) Hospitals are never that empty. Yeah. It's a hospital. There are... Thousands of people in that building at any given time. Yeah. Doesn't matter. And it's in the middle of a winter storm, so people would be coming in in droves. Yeah, well, they're talking about all these fucking pileups they've had, and that's why the cops couldn't come to the sorority house. Where are all the victims? Where are they? They, they, They're all dead? None of them got to the hospital? Like, there's... And there's, like, no sense of urgency in the hospital. They have hallway lights off, which is never a thing. Yeah. I can tell you from experience, it's hard enough to get your nurse to close your fucking door on her way out, or his way out, Um, but they have the fucking lights off. Not to mention, if you're in the hospital, and she was fully admitted, she wasn't in the ER, she was in a hospital room, which are different things. And unlikely she'd be there that quick. They check on you so often. Uh, and not to mention, she really wasn't hurt badly enough to be admitted anyway. Yeah, and they also put her in a room that has a door that locks, which they would which never... Which doesn't break? Ever. Well, okay, hold on, wait. So, I did have a broken door when I was in my hospital for a month. Oh, my yeah. door was broken. I can't remember what... It wouldn't, like, stay open, I think, or something like that. But, like, yeah, they're not going to put you in a fucking room where the lock on the door breaks and suddenly you can't get it open. Yeah, the doctor can't get to you? No. What happens if you start fucking coding? Like- right, exactly. It's just, well, and the bigger thing is that Billy and Agnes crawl through a drop ceiling silently like ninja. <laughs> falling through. And they're both huge. Yeah. It's this real hills have eyes kind of a look too, like these real mongoloid types. Yeah. And I understand with like supernatural killers fine. The killer comes to the to the 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 fuck it comes in, in a body bag and it's a supernatural killer. You can't tell if they're dead or not, right? But these are two human beings. Are you telling me that a paramedic oh, yeah, that showed up whole... on scene and was like they're dead? Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> right, exactly. Like, the the whole way they get in is they bring him in in body bags and they both wake up, they kill the guy who's getting in a fight with his wife because he has to work on Christmas and it's like, that's, I, I mean, I guess people are assholes, but yeah, it's just like everything about it is bad. And yeah. I, you know, we'll get into the, the failings of the 2019 remake in about two seconds. But, but yeah, whew, yeah, do you, um... 
never watched this. No, and the only way to watch it for free is on Tubi, which I think, like, added insult to injury. Yeah, it was rough. I mean, it it really wasn't that bad. We had, like, what, two, three commercial breaks that were, like, five commercials long? Yeah, but also it's Tubi. Yeah. So tonight (laughs) we watched the second remake of Black Christmas, the 2019 version by Sophia Takal, which is, uh, was released through Blumhouse. Written by her and some other lady. More like Plophouse. And it stars Imogen Poots, <laughs> Lily Donoghue. Poots. Uh, Elise, Shannon, Brittany O'Grady, Caleb Eberhart, and Carrie Hughes. Which was fun. That part was fun. No. Okay. It wasn't. None of it was fun. No, it was. It. I have. I have thoughts. You go first. Okay. Well, no, I'm not gonna lie. I did like this better than the other remake. Yeah, sure. This but, is a competently shot movie. Yes, it is only similar in the sense that it involves sorority girls. It, it, this did not. Need it to has be the same Christmas. name. Yeah. And it happened on Christmas. That's about it. It has nothing to do with Christmas. Other than they use, in the one sense, it's good because it's not like, it's the difference between Silent Night, Deadly Night, and, well, and honestly, even the second movie doesn't, like, Christmas is the setting to explain the isolation, which this movie kind of does, but it doesn't actually really have any isolation, so, um, but yeah, I mean, it really, in almost no way, has anything to do with Black Christmas, other than, I would say, the overall theme of men subjugating women and that being bad yes that is correct now i don't have a problem with saying that's bad the subject matter of bringing forth the idea that there are some issues in this world that have to do with white cis men it's okay guys i'm buying jewish so i don't count not all men um (laughs) That's a joke. That's a joke. Uh, anyway, I don't have a problem with a, with a film dealing with these issues sure. as a man. Uh, I think there's a way to do it. Yeah, it's and a problem with the film being what it is. Not... This was almost comical. This this felt on the level of malignant. Yeah, so the to me, the big problem with the film was that it was trying to do two things at once that I think if you had a really skilled director and more importantly writer behind the film you might have been able to pull off but instead feels like a jumbled message well the message isn't jumbled but the it's undercut by the delivery of the content and what I mean to say is I think we're sort of of the same mind so the movie is about basically like you know, being a victim of sexual assault, not being believed, like, women trying to stand up and stick up for each other and sort of the different ways in which they do that, Uh, you know, or fraternity guys being rapists or in just general, like, you know, sort of uh, patriarchy is bad type of whatever. And it has a valid narrative stance. Like I'm fine with a movie written by women directed by a woman focusing on female characters from their fem- like their perspective. Those things are all perfectly fine. One of my favorite movies from the last few years was uh raw. 
Right. Or even It Follows is, in a lot of ways, I would say, like, a sort of interesting female perspective movie. It's a little bit less gender, I would say a lot less gender oriented. Well, that movie was also written and directed by a man. I know, but... but well, the point I was trying to make is... Sure, sure, I gotcha. Yeah, but the, the the thing is that, so, spoilers, like, the the plot has a supernatural element, or is supernatural. Like, the, the, the villainy in the movie is supposed to be both, like, men in general being evil and bad towards women, and then also a supernatural evil component, which was the founder of the college that the movie is set at, like, was a black arts practicer, and the bust that is moved from the central building into this uh, fraternity house that's like the founder's fraternity oozes out black ooze which then they use to turn fraternity pledges into like zombie killers who attack women whose like items they've stolen and put on a table and you could have a movie about female empowerment that's fun and outlandish and wild or you could have a serious exploration of the sort of trauma and then women taking it back, sort of, I spit on your grave, or even like the original Black Christmas style. But they instead try to have both of these movies without ever going full exploitation, because it's PG-13, yeah. first of all, know that. And then, uh, but pulling the punch essentially at the end when they make it supernatural, like it would be a much more effective movie if it was just... Like, it would still be insane that a bunch of fraternity guys would all, like, put on these masks and start killing these women, even with the baseline plot of, like, they've tried to humiliate this fraternity at the beginning of the movie because they raped one of their sorority sisters and she makes, like, a song about how they basically did that, among other things, at a public performance at their fraternity house. But, no. They, they take this hard right turn, they dusk till dawn it almost, but... They really, really jump the shark. And it's like, okay, so now, like, I understand that your message is still the same, and in some ways, like, all that shit up to it, leading up to it, is, like, valid as a topics to explore and things to think about, but you make it completely silly and dumb, and in a way that's just like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, is this really where we've gone? It's, it's, it, and you know, it's funny, uh, we were watching this movie and Flex was in the other room saying, eating or something. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh yeah, you could tell those was directed by a man. And we're like, um, actually, and we had a mansplain to her that it was actually directed by a woman and written by two women. But there, lo and behold, how badly this movie is written. Uh, you had a way it, bigger problem with the script than I did for the majority of it. So. It's it's not necessarily the script as much as it is some of the dialogue. It's it's like there were like catchphrases that were thrown in there. Uh, I won't go too into it till we get to the end. But there was like one, there was a couple like things that made me really laugh out loud. Just how like as a groaner. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. just, like, people don't speak like this, and there's a way to do it, and this is not it. But, see, that's that's the thing that I, I feel like I disagree on, because there are some women in my life uh, that have... Uh, this is going to sound rough. 
but just my perspective and maybe I'm completely deluded cisgender scum but who are they what are their names <laughs> but it's interesting I have found that there are some women I know in my life who have come to take on this sort of whether it's third or I don't even know at this point like fourth wave feminism type of a thing social justice interests and things like that which are all you know like so social justice is like fine and and you know feminism is fine in the sense of like I don't have problems with people being advocates for that stuff but it it comes it I can't speak to where it comes from but it comes out like performative in a way that makes me question the real sincerity of their position I think that there's a bigger interest in the performance of outrage than there is in a desire to actually change address deal with whatever and that may be completely unfair but it is part of the problem i have with these people in my life who do this and they talk and say things just like the women in this movie do which is why it feels fake because it feels performative right like it's a script where you're like well who would possibly say this but like i know people who have said these things you know without the added threat of masked killers and all the rest but well yeah i mean the thing that really uh really it wasn't even the parts that the women were saying it was more so that one scene with the one girl's boyfriend where yeah he you know not all men and he gets all upset and everything and yeah, i'm like turns into an elliot rogers for a second yeah and i'm like who fucking does shit like this and i'm like well actually yeah yeah but okay, well, before we delve into specific seasons and everything, give you a full synopsis real quick. Full of spoilers, because you really don't need to watch this movie. There are so many better ways that you can spend your time, and we will never get this time back, so yeah. allow us to... At least we don't have to pay for it. Yeah, it, it's, it's like when I was curious enough to finally read the full synopsis of a Serbian film. Never want to see it. Now I don't have to because I know everything that happens into it still felt icky afterwards. Sure. So, movie opens up. Girl is about to head home from the sorority house for college. Gets murdered right away. No big surprise. Christmas horror movie. Uh, there is no on true on-screen gore for women in the whole movie. Yeah, the one except for the one girl who gets her neck snapped at the very end, but... Yeah, but that's that's more it's it's, it's not, not gore. gore. Yeah. yeah. Um so yes, yeah, so this girl gets murdered and she's not even from the sorority that the movie focuses on. Oh my god, you're right. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, so it's basically pointless other than yeah. to set up what the killer looks like. Yeah. Exactly. Which is dumb. It's dumb. Oh my god, what's it remind me of? Oh no. Oh no, there's something with a black mask and a hooded cape. What is it? There's another horror movie. It reminds me of something. Ah! Doctor Doom? Huh? Doctor Doom? No. I know what you did last summer? No. Shut up. No. No. Okay, well... It doesn't matter. Um, I'll probably think of it eventually. So, girl gets killed by a guy with a black mask and a cloak. Trick or treat. That's what it reminded me of. The scene where the guy's dressing uh, up yeah, as a yeah, vampire. Yeah, 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 you're right. Came to me. So anyway, guy in a black cloak, black mask, kills a girl with an icicle. 
Uh, kind of boring to watch. Uh, like I said, no actual full-on gore or anything for anyone in it. It was kind of entertaining that when she fell over, she made a snow angel, and then he killed her in drag away. That was kind of fun. And then it goes to... It, it almost jump cuts to the main character girl waking up in bed. Her roommate running in, talking about how she has a final and she can't find her diva cup. Which, did you not know what that was? I know what a diva cup okay. is. Yeah. Because I, I, I thought you were like, what the fuck's a diva cup? And I was like, you don't know? It's a I know what little a diva cup blood is. shot glass. Yeah, um, I got it. That's like, it starts to set up the characters and they're all sorority sisters and they all love each other, which is cool. Same thing happened in the original Black Christmas. Uh, to a degree. But anyway, was it, oh God, so much in this movie. Okay, she, the main girl goes to class, and Carrie Hughes is the professor. Carrie Hughes is the professor who I love. I love that man. He's a beautiful man. He was Robin Hood. He was also in Saw, and he was also in one of my favorite movies of all time, The Princess Bride. Love that movie. Anyway, he is giving this whole spiel about how. They are trying to get him out of his tenure or his professorship. Trying to get him to lose his job because... They're petitioning to have him fired because he's a sexist pig. Yes. Uh, and then you... Frank Frank called it right away. He was like, main character is sexual trauma. Lo and behold, it turns out that she was raped by a fraternity brother. Even though... One of their fraternity sisters was raped by a gentleman who went to this fraternity, which he is an alumni now. He doesn't go there. But they are still going to this frat house to perform there, which I guess tradition, but also I feel like... Well, the thing that was unclear to me, and granted I didn't pay 100% attention to this movie. I saw being Christmas cookies and doing some other stuff. But was that it seemed like the one girl that was supposed to perform got hammered, didn't perform, and then the main character had to step in. And she was really upset to be there in the first place because that's where she had been raped and she told people and nothing really happened about it. And I think what the movie was insinuating or saying in the second half was that they planned to sing that song the way they sang it to upset everyone but when you're first seeing it, you think they're going to do this sexy ditty, and they are, but then eventually she comes out and starts, like, singing this modified version of, uh, and it's about how they raped her and no one believed her and it's bad, and then they all, like, you know, leave the sorority house and all the, the or the frat house, rather, and all the frat boys are upset. And it was like, come. I never understood whether that was a spur-of-the-moment decision she made and then her sorority sisters on stage supported her, or if they always intended to do that. Yeah, but I wasn't like, sure either. And yeah. either way, it seems like, <coughs> if it was planned, it seems like a bad plan. Well, well, I mean, whatever, but... I don't know. It. I mean, but I agree. <laughs> it was odd. Like, they're going to this place where they have this... You know, this horrible thing happened, and it's like, why would you do that? So why it, why would you force someone to relive that trauma? But I digress. Like Dick Fetty said, they sing this song about how the one frat brother raped the girl, and they abscond, 
and there is a cute uh, black guy who is there, and he's real bookish and cute, and they're like kind of flirting. There's no payoff to that whole subplot. No, except one minor kind of joke towards the end, and like I I understand. I understand that it might have been, like, the way she treats him later, uh, because of her trauma, she doesn't trust men, Mm -hmm. and I know women who've been through those types of things, and it just seems, like, I mean, like, you know, I'm no psychiatrist, but... Well, everybody has different trauma responses. Yeah, that's true, but it seems like she snaps out of it for a little bit and then like immediately goes back into it but i guess she's also going through a lot of traumatic stuff either way it never pays off his character almost seems pointless it is because like okay let me let me let me bring up this thing um the suspiria remake Mm. which we we talked about on an episode that was it was all women in that movie Every single person in that movie was a woman except the two cops that are in it, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they did that on purpose. Right. Though the the those male characters, those cops that were in there and the and uh, what's her face playing Total the old Swinton. doctor, Toll yeah. Swinton playing the doctor, had a purpose as being there as men in an all woman world. Right. Made sense while they were there. They, you know, built on the story and everything. His character did nothing. For the movie. Anyway, they were they're gonna have like I guess uh, I thought they said breakfast, but I guess it was like a dinner the following night at the sorority house. Only a few of them were still there for the holidays, and the one main character girl who I can't even remember her character's name at this point. Why does she go? Oh, she goes to report her. Sorority sister missing. Yeah, so let, let me say this. The one thing that we skipped over in the 2006 remake is that they attempt to do the calls, but it's undermined by the fact that, of course, people have cell phones. Yeah. So it's like they're coming from the dead girl's cell phones or this side or the other. But they do this incredibly, like, horrifically shitty, no one gives a shit simulcra of the same phone calls with some of the same dialogue. In this movie, they eradicate that whole thing. And they instead do, the girls start getting DMs from... Like a chat app or something. Yeah, it's supposed to be Yak, Yik, Yik Yak or whatever that Yak something was was an actual college thing. This is, um, it's not Yak Back, I keep thinking Yak Back, but uh, it was called Yak like, Backs? it was called Tick, Yik Yak or what, I can't remember. But there was a college app that was big that used to be around that people would like post different stuff and... All this, but they, the, all the girls are getting messages from the founder. It's like a guy with the founder's name of the school, Hawthorne, whatever, and saying like weird, cryptic, threatening shit. And the the one, one of the sorority sisters. So the night after they do this whole prank on the fraternity house, immediately girls start getting killed at their house, but they don't realize it. And so, much like the original movie. One girl's supposed to meet with her family, like, you know, take a train, go home. That mom calls our main character, who then starts to get freaked out because she's simultaneously getting these messages and eventually decides to go to the public security to report it. Yeah, which is honestly, those messages are one of my biggest issue 
with the 2019 movie because it's like you're 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 going all you're you're touching on all these like real horrible things that happen to women, right? But as far as those messages go, and I mean like you can even go on Reddit and like you'll see people chatting that shit live, like, and I understand they're probably trying to stick with the PG thirteen, but. You know, like, if you're, like, a crazy stalker, you're going to say wake way more vile shit than you're going to die tonight. But they don't even say that, and they keep it mostly, like, obtuse, and the the bigger thing is that, and again, I mean, this is my perspective on it, but not only is it, like, women go through these things and men are bad, but instead of treating men realistically, they, they turn them into these, like, cartoon occult, supernatural ridiculous villains yeah, which we'll get to yeah and it and that's this whole part of it is part of that and it's just so absurd but like they're trying to play the rest of it like real yeah and so it it's just like what the fuck so main character one of the sisters goes missing main character goes to the frat house where said rape and awkward holiday concert i'll call it happened and Robin Hood himself shows up because he's all he was also a frat member at one point. Well, you're always a frat member once you're a member. Yeah, I guess I guess so. I never went to college. Too smart. So he shows up and pretty much is like, "Hey, that video of what you did last night post got posted online, and that could be defamation and blah blah blah." Because at the tail end of the video, they caught the one girl being like, oh, that'll stop so-and-so from ever raping anyone again. Now, I don't know, you're a lawyer, I don't know if it's defamation without it being an official statement. Like, if so, Right, so the way that this works, there's, there's different, um, there's defamation, there's libel, there's slander. Every state has different definitions of what these things are. There's... Um, and they're typically all civil causes of action. They're mm-hmm. not criminal. And the big thing with all of them typically is that when you say these things, you have to knowingly and with malice aforethought say something that you know is untrue in order to destroy someone's character. And if you believe it to be true, then it's unless there's like a reckless disregard for the truthfulness of this statement, then you're pretty much covered. So if you say so-and-so sexually assaulted me and you know that that never happened, then if they can prove that it never happened, you knew that it didn't and you made that statement and it caused whatever, you know, basically it's all calculated via money damage. They could sue you and successfully in civil court, which is, doesn't you know just get money judgments but and do that if you said like the main character you sexually assaulted me and you knew that to be true and you believed it to be true how are they going to prove like you have a false memory or anything else she had reported it to people at the time she'd have a million you know a lot of witnesses who would say she told me that this happened that's not libel that's not defamation um, it's, it's none of those things. I think memory serves me right. Libel is when it's public, uh, publication, but publication actually doesn't mean putting it in the newspaper. Publication is like 
you could say it in public, you could publish it in the newspaper, you could put it online, Yeah. any of those things. But yeah, those girls, like that's all classic between, I mean, you could say that to somebody and scare them, but then they'd go and talk to a lawyer and they'd be... Yeah, which, yeah. you know, touches on the whole thing of, uh, you know, there's a lot of issues that they bring up in this movie. Sure. And, um, a lot of hot buttons. Yeah, so she gets upset. And, you know, rightfully so, runs back to the sorority house where her two sisters, three three sisters are, and then the one girl's boyfriend and gets into an argument about the video and everything. And, you know, I guess it's supposed to, I don't know, man, this movie's still better than the second remake. Sure. But... They get into an argument. The one girl goes upstairs looking for Christmas lights because she doesn't want to hear them argue. Gets murdered. So now we're down to three girls and the boyfriend. I just remember the other part that really, really made me laugh in this movie. Anyway, uh, so the... As they're arguing, the boyfriend goes off it's like, not all men, you know, why Why you go tell, you know, make me feel bad for having penis and yada, yada, yada. And he leaves. At that point, are they about to leave? Why do they start rock- walking towards the front door? Uh, they're not walking at the front door. They're all getting the text messages. They're just sitting there talking. Okay. And then the killer. So, yeah, they start talking and you, you just, zoof, zoof. arrows start flying everywhere which was hilarious but also kind of cool but mostly hilarious yeah and out and they're like what's happening and out walks the gentleman with the cloak and the face mask and the murderous intent with a bow yeah and we had called much earlier i mean you said it first but i was thinking the same thing of there's, it's obviously multiple killers. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's a it's, fraternity, yeah. and they show you when they're at the frat house before that there's this, uh, you know, they're, they're doing some weird initiation ritual and whatever. Yeah, but, but as far as I know from what I know about fraternities and also certain secret societies that people I know are a part of, mm. uh, that kind of thing isn't abnormal. No, like I know. that sort of ritual and everything. Right, I get which that. Which when like I first saw it, I didn't think anything of it, and I just thought it was kind of weird that she was just kind of snooping. Well, the around. whole point is they show you the robed killer early, like at the very beginning of the movie when it kills the other sorority sister, and then you know twenty minutes, ten minutes later, they're showing you this scene with all these people in very similar robes and looking weird and doing weird shit. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I not to rush your process too much, but I mean, from there, it's well, go ahead, never mind, I'll shut up. Wow. Okay. Anyway, yeah, so Killer shows up, they kill him, he bleeds black, all of the actual on-screen violence is done to the men, which I thought was kind of cool and interesting, because it, like, you know, flips the script, you don't, like, you know the women are dying, but it's not, like, graphic, and all of the graphic violence on-screen is towards the men, and obviously they can subvert the R rating by making all their blood black, they find out that it's happening to all of the sororities. Uh, the main character and her uh, one other sorority sister escape after killing two or three of them. Yeah. Three of them. Main character, 
jumps out of the car because she wants to, and like, and it's so funny because I would have felt exactly the same way as her friend. She's just like, supernatural stuff's happening. They're doing, like, black magic witchcraft rituals. and I gotta get to the bust. I gotta smash the bust. And her friend's like, what the fuck are you talking about? We have to go to the police. Right. And then she calls her out for not being an ally. Yes. So, she gets out and is stumbling like a maniac through the streets. And the dude who, like, they seem to, like, be gaining a thing, but it kind of, like, stopped after, you know, her sorority sister disappeared and everything. It's, like, walking to meet her for dinner. And he's like, well, is there anything I can do to help you? Like, what's going on? And she's like, you really want to help me? Which is, I'm not, that's pretty much how the line was delivered. And she instantly throws this man to his doom. Yeah. And looking back on it now, it kind of makes sense why her boyfriend was getting so agitated because the reach of the founder or whatever that's yeah was happening but he pretty much starts getting a headache like the other girl's boyfriend did and they were like yeah that's that's just the that's the voice of the or the influence of the founder and yeah well he goes in to make a distraction so she can try to sneak in and break this statue and as soon as all the fraternity brothers show up they're like take him hostage basically and then he starts to get this headache for a second and they're like yeah like that's your alpha coming out is what yeah say. The, the name of the what is it alpha omega or? it's alpha the e1 and then omega oh alpha epsilon omega yeah oh i skipped over this but the, the one part that really made me laugh when this one they were still in the house and the girl's boyfriend comes back and he's all he's like where's my girlfriend she's like no oh, yeah. and He's like, she's like, I need your phone. I need to call the police. He goes, no, here, you need to get out of here and throws her the keys. And he's like, I'll take care of this and grabs an axe. And it's like, hey, there's now a man. And then immediately gets shot through the face as he was about to yell something about a man, which is hilarious. One of the parts of the movie that truly made me laugh and I like. But anyway, they go, uh, the guy distracts the fraternity members. She goes to destroy the bust. She hears one of her sorority sisters who her disappeared. Little, her little sister, too, at that. Scream for help. So instead of destroying the bust and ending everything right there, she goes to help her sister, who turns out she's a turncoat. She's a... Oh, what is she? You're a traitor! She calls her. Finds out that her sister... Her little sister... Dump, exposition dump. Yeah, exposition dump... Founder, black goo, men are tired of being subjugated, so we got this goo, which I don't really know how it would help them take over the world, because it's just, you're just controlling people to kill women? Well, it was more, they could do more than that, but basically it put all the men on the same page, and all men that got in the radius of the founder all took this cartoonishly evil misogynistic stance so that's how i guess you're right because there's no man in the movie that isn't basically affected by this that gets in range of the thing yeah yeah that's true so yeah big exposition dump one girl turned on her she's the one who stole all their trinkets which i guess is the only way for them to go out and kill the sorority sisters i guess it, it was so that they knew which ones to kill 
but it seemed like they were just killing all of them anyway because they started killing other ones at different sorority houses, but... Well, there were... Yeah, there was more trinkets than there were sorority girls from their sorority that were killed. There was a lot on there. Yeah, but not enough. Sure. This was a dumb movie, though. Yes, I know, I know. That's why I like to pick it apart. So, yeah, big exposition dump. All the surviving sorority sisters show up as the one girl is about to be killed. Big fight ensues. The one girl molotovs the whole room, thus burning all evidence of all occult happenings and conspiracy outside of the men dressed in black that were already killed on certain scenes. And then the movie ends. Yeah. And well, that's it. I mean, right. It's sort of like most comedies where they don't know how to really end it effectively. I always think of Blazing Saddles, which is basically a perfect movie until the end when they just sort of like don't know what the fuck to do. And it gets weird and meta and all the rest of that. But, yeah, I mean, there is no... In a world that's this simplistic, is there going to be a satisfying ending? Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I think I've, I've almost really said my piece at the beginning. But the problem is is the, the movie lacks any nuance in its treatment of sort of power dynamics, gender inequality, those types of things... Like there are, there there's some nuance in the discussion, a little bit, about, or I would say in the treatment of the way that women respond to trauma differently or other things like that, and different people's responses on like how to, you know, as a woman how to navigate the world, they they do that a little bit, but in terms of women are good, men are bad, or um any of that like it's just gone and it it just is such a shame because it's like every guy in the movie like you know like so the message is basically like there's an evilness in all men that like can make them into black goo monster women killers yes or or it's something else or whatever but i mean they're all like comically evil which is so much less satisfying like as far as having a movie where you know it's supposed to be like sort of women taking it back and again like you don't have to go the house or the um i spit on your grave route of like uh, i you know a woman gets raped by five guys like nine separate occasions yeah and in order to have a revenge arc like you don't need that although that is still like part of the arc of this movie but you know women can it can be a female empowerment fantasy without it being that all men are bad. Like, that's the thing of it. Like, I understand that there are, there are good people and there are bad people. And some people are a mix of both a lot of the time. And most people do shitty things and good things. And it's like the idea that just, it just is so fucking dumb. Like, and I'm fine with dumb, but the problem is, is that, because it makes its message in my at least for me feel like such an integral part of the movie like this is the thing you should be taking away from this is like girl power and blah 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 and not like fun trashy horror when your message is delivered so ham-fistedly with such a stupid fucking plot then it's like well then you failed on everything you know what i mean i i'd be fine with the message that at least is delivered well but I don't agree with, but this is, this isn't, yeah, this is, it's not even that I disagree with the message. It's just like, it's well, so I do ham-fisted this, and clubbed over your head. 
constantly through yeah. the whole movie. Yeah. Still, at times, fun. And if they had just tried to do a little less of that, like, if it had been R-rated and you had more gore. And the other fucking part of it that we just didn't mention is that her friend, the sorority sister, who like the girl who's not being an ally, she goes later, like, shortly thereafter, they split up. She continues on in the car and runs into more other sorority girls being attacked. Takes them in with her, and then you don't see what happens. But then she shows up at the last minute to save yeah. the main character. And she starts it by shooting an arrow through the guy who's strangling her to death. And then runs in and starts to proceed to hit people with, with bow. a bow. It's like, you, and she has many more arrows in a quiver on her back. And you're just like, and then later she's getting her ass kicked by a physically stronger man. And I'm like, you had the bow. That was your equalizer. <laughs> and now you're getting choked out. Like, are you kidding me? Could have stopped somewhere and got a gun. Also, which I assume, last thing I would have, last stupid thing I would have bring up about this movie, I assume 911 dispatch called campus security. Yeah. But no cops ever showed up. No. And also, I don't, maybe it's different, but like, I would think that 911 might ask for campus security to meet them there. I yeah. cannot believe that they would ever pawn a call off entirely on campus security. Like, if you've called 911, you've either gone over campus security's head or you've tried them and it hasn't worked. But I'm pretty sure they're not allowed to do that. Yeah, like, not to mention for, like, a multiple victim assault. Like, because they even said insane. on the phone it was... Yeah. Yeah. But, um... That's the three Black Christmases. And I think one of the main things that causes both of these remakes to suffer so much is that the original is perfect. It's, you know, I really liked the original novel, The Shining. Not a fan of the Stephen King accurate TV version, but, like, you can't remake a movie like that. You just can't do it. You can't. And at least, like, The Shining had, like, you know, a piece of media that it came from before. But you can't you can't remake a masterpiece, man. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough because if you want to talk about dealing with violence against women in a real way, it has first, to be cold and brutal and. No, I don't mean that at all. What I was gonna say is that the movie, the original movie, already does that. Like, yeah, the, I mean that's the whole thing. Is like their message was already accomplished in the first film with nuance and gravity and and me, meaning feeling quality all the rest and so the third movie is completely superfluous from that you know foundation if that's what they were if that was their main focus they already like they didn't need to do it it was already done no. perfectly yeah. and if your focus is on making a gorier film the second film accomplishes that but they do that at the expense of literally every other aspect of the film and so it's pointless and again it's just like I understand the allure of making a Christmas holiday film because, you know, you're already past spooky season, so how can we bring in the horror kids again? But it's like, there's no point in remaking a perfect movie. I mean, they, they, they've, but they've done that with every classic horror film, essentially. Yeah, but... At least these aren't a franchise yet, you know? In the sense of, there's not Black Christmas 2019 Part 2. Well, you know, the movie would have to be at least somewhat entertaining for that to happen. You know? Yeah. 
But yeah, that's all we got. Just go watch the original. You don't need to watch the remix. This is that that seems to be the makeup of all the episodes where we do this. It's just Watch the original. Sure. Although I would say, you know... Unless we do a series on the ring. Well, it's... The the fun thing about this is that, of course, if you are dick deep in horror and related like us, like, sometimes it's just interesting to see it from just a, like, why and how and what kind of a thing. And... Especially since each one of those movies was over a decade apart each. Yeah. And... Like, Pulse, you know, Pulse was interesting because it's like a real master class of how can we translate a uniquely Japanese film into an American film? And the answer is they couldn't, or at least <laughs> the people involved weren't able to do that. But you do get to see Kristen Bell, who's hot, and it's it's almost worth watching just to see a movie that's that awful. And I would say, like, Black Christmas, the first remake, is like that, but... It's so much trashier in some way. Like, it's like, I would rather rewatch The American Pulse than I would watch Black Christmas 2006. Oh, well, me, I don't know. They were both very hard to look at. They were ugly, ugly, ugly movies, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess the next time we see you guys, we'll be doing our year-end wrap-up. And uh, I just want to know you guys are alive out there and I miss you. Uh. All right, later, nerds. Later, nerds.